This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. We were all created by God for a purpose, and that purpose was for relationship with Him and relationship with each other. That's Dan Crystal, author, speaker, and pastor on this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is your co-host, Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. And we're here to bring you another episode to put your faith to work and to bring your bold ideas to life. And uh, we have a terrific guest on the program again today, don't we, Armin? We always do, Larry. We always do. We line them up. <laughs> well, we have Dan Crystal. He has over 23 years of ministry and relationship experience. He is a pastor for Bayside Church and, uh, and under the dynamic leader of founding pastor Ray Johnson. Many of you may know Ray Johnson. He's a just a terrific leader. Dan's also a vibrant speaker and a dedicated life and career couples coach. He has an extensive ministry background that's taken him all over the country where he served in a variety of capacity as lead and administrative pastor, associate pastor, worship pastor, youth pastor. He's had he's done it all. He's an avid student of relationships and he's passionate about helping others to love their neighbors as themselves. Dan is the author of a new book called The Lost Art of Relationship, A Journey to Find the Lost Commandment. And we're so happy to welcome Dan Crystal to the Bold Idea Podcast. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad you're here. You know, you've got a lot of stuff in your book. And before we dive into that, let's talk about you for a bit, because um, you've had quite a quite a varied career. And, you know, in talking to you about it, I, I think your journey is going to be of interest to our listeners. So give, give us a little bit of a thumbnail of your, your background. Thumbnail. I'm not sure that's possible, but I do the best I can. So I started off in ministry in New Jersey, and I was... Uh, always in business outside of the ministry, but I am in, I've been in the ministry for over 25 years and was youth pastor, associate pastor, then met my wife, moved to California and uh, stayed in the business uh, of banking and uh, some other business oriented uh, positions and stayed in the ministry as a volunteer. And then when I went down to Los Angeles for my wife to do dental school down at UCLA, I started my own business down there and I became the senior pastor of a research plant in Culver City. Then we moved, well, I was there for about six years, moved back to Maryland where I grew up and became the executive pastor of a church called Trinity Assembly of God in Lutherville, Maryland. Was there for six years, got myself an MBA while I was there. And then we moved back to California where we landed in the Sacramento region. And over the last three years, I've now been working with a phenomenal church called Bayside Church where Ray Johnston is the, is the lead pastor and founding pastor. And somebody might, some people might know also that there's a pretty cool recording artist named Lincoln Brewster, who is the worship pastor here as well. So that's what I do currently. Yeah, you have a phenomenal church and a phenomenal pastor. And um, it's, it's, you know, it's terrific to have you on the program. But it occurs to me that you've just gone left coast, right coast, and you haven't had a stop in the middle. <laughs> um, no, we, I've actually bounced from the East Coast to the West Coast, back to the East Coast, and then back to the West Coast again. Yeah. So I've been back and forth several times. Yeah. It's been a wild ride. You just can't make <laughs> up your mind. <laughs> oh, no. We, we, <laughs> we made up our mind long ago. We decided to go back to Baltimore for my wife's oral surgery education. So that's why we went back uh, to Baltimore it. for okay. six years. Now, when we talked, you told me you were also in law school. So talk about that. 
Oh yeah, back in June. Well, we, my wife and I, both wanted to extend our education beyond where we are now. And some people are like, "Why would you want to do that? I mean, you already have a master's. She's got a doctorate." Um, well, we uh, we always wanted to create. We always want to create value and add value, no matter where we go. Plus, we we just really felt like this was the right decision for us to move forward. So, we entered law school in August, and we've now we're now four months in. Wait a minute. And, when you say we, are is your wife also in law school with you? Oh yeah, we actually entered and uh, applied and were accepted within 24 hours of each other. And, uh, and that's then crazy. Her, I know it's pretty wild. <laughs> no, wait a minute. So what does your wife do for work? She's she's an oral surgeon. She's an oral surgeon, but now going to law school with you. And you're an executive pastor. Well, uh, I'm not an executive pastor here at Bayside. I was back in Maryland. Right. Um, but I over. I oversee sponsorship, acquisition relationships, church relationships for our Thrive conferences, which we can talk about in a little bit. And I also have my own business of life coaching, career coaching outside of that. And I run my wife's business, uh, the business side of her corporation. And yes, we are both going to law school at the same time. We are absolutely insane. I know it. You can go ahead and say it. <laughs> well, you know, it occurs to me that you have the disease that uh, both Armin and I have, and that is your, you have a split professionality. <laughs> I had not heard it that way, but that's good. Yeah. So it's when, you know, you pursue the things of the Lord and in a, in a ministry setting and the things of the Lord in a workplace setting. So a marketplace yeah. setting. Yeah. And uh, one, of the, one of the phrases that we have around here at Bayside fits me to a T, and that is that impact trumps process. So even if there's a major change you have to have in your life, if you really feel like this is going to have more impact in your future, you got to go for it. You can't just let it sit. Mm. So how did, you, how did you assess that in your own life? For me, I had been back and forth, as I mentioned, across the country four times. And you can't really create for yourself a longevity in one particular place. So, and as you guys both, I'm sure, know, longevity for a lot of people becomes credibility. Unfortunately, on the flip side of that, if you bounce from place to place, even if it's legitimate, uh, it's just a little bit more difficult to prove credibility in certain areas. So for me... Being in ministry, having been in many different capacities of ministry, even a senior pastor, lead pastor, executive pastor, um, I really felt strongly that having this degree behind my name would would bring more credibility when I walk into the room. So instead of saying, well, I'm not a senior pastor, but uh, I can say, well, I'm, I'm in ministry and I'm also an attorney. So uh, Lord willing, in the next four years, once I finish and pass the bar, I'll be able to say that. But that's kind of what I'm thinking going in because I... My desire and one of the reasons why I love working with Thrive is because I want to bring value to the local church. And I can do that best serving in the capacity here at, I'm, I am here at Bayside. Uh, and then also adding this to the mix so I can help in many other ways. Yeah, so some in our audience may not be familiar with what Thrive is. Talk about that. Oh, yeah. Thrive Conference is started about 15 years ago by the lead pastor here, Ray Johnston, and uh, the gentleman that's a good friend of mine that I work for, his name is John Valensky. And they started this conference 15 years ago and said, you know what, we just want to, we want to create this experience for local churches where we can add add incredible amounts of resource and, and infuse excitement, enthusiasm into their ministry so that they can go back to their local setting and just continue to carry out what God's plan and will is for those churches. So they thought, ah, the first time around, we may get two or 300. They put it out there and they got 800 leaders to come. And so that was the first year. And since then, it's grown. Now we have four to five conferences in a year, varying from student ministry 
to women's ministry, to apologetics, to two leadership conferences that we do in Northern and Southern California. And we've also added Thrive One Day conferences where we go to a city like Seattle, for instance, or Riverside, uh, potentially coming up, and also New York City. And we do a one day, just just inject leadership uh, principles and encouragement and enthusiasm in the people's lives that are in the ministry and or any kind of leadership in their jobs and their lives and their families as well. And um, we have now probably about 18 to 20,000 people a year that come through the doors of those conferences. And our main one is up here in Northern California in May. And we have about 4,000 leaders that come to that on, a, on an annual basis. Absolutely incredible, guys. I, uh, wow. I, I wish I could say, I mean, there's so much I could say about it. One of the things I would say for your listeners is, is that Thrive is all about helping leaders rise above. We want them to rise above their circumstances, rise above their difficulties, rise above their obstacles, uh, whether they're students or they're leaders of our CEOs of corporations. And we want them to understand that there's a greater purpose beyond those difficulties and circumstances and troubles. Or if they're very successful, how can we help them become even that much more for the kingdom? Well, I can certainly see that, um, you know, you mentioned impact before. I can certainly see where that is having a big impact and why you'd be excited to be a part of it. Absolutely. And it, like I said, it fits me because ever since I've been in ministry, I've, I've always wanted to connect churches and pastors and leaders together because I just... I'm crazy enough to believe that we're way better together and that's kind of how God may have designed it. How do you bring those people together? I'm curious because that's something I've always tried to do and never find it to be the easiest to make happen. That's a great question. Uh, I can say that with a quick short story. A friend of mine who was a Messianic Jewish pastor down in Los Angeles and I got together. We said, man, we want to get a group of pastors together. So we got about 10 to 15 pastors together and we cast our vision for what we wanted to accomplish. And so we just said, we want to pray together and serve together. That's all. That's all we need to do. We're not asking you to talk about theology or, or get into the mix and the details of that. And um, we, we shared our vision. After it was over, one of the pastors came up to me and said, so you're asking me to serve alongside someone like that guy? And he pointed his finger over to somebody, um, which I'll just leave the denominations out of this. And I said, well, absolutely. He says, well, I can't do that. I can't serve alongside him because of how he believes. So I thought, well, the best way that I can get people together is to invite everyone, but then accept the fact that there's some people that are just not going to fly with it. So um, maybe, they're, maybe they're not in that place right now where they can be a part of it. So we welcome anyone that wants to be. So Thrive, we actually have eight or nine rules we tell everybody right up front. As soon as they come in the door, it's the first main session. Number one, there are no denominations when you walk in this door. And the second is, is that, you know what, if anybody asks you what size your church is, just tell them it's about a thousand. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we remove any of those obstacles that, that uh, impact us in relationships and make it fun so that people can actually relax a little bit and say, you know what, they're right. I just want to learn. I, I just want to learn with everyone else. I mean, I agree with everyone with where they are and what they believe. As long as I can say Christ is the answer and the reason why I can be here and that his death and resurrection was what this is all about, then I think I can worship along somebody that may have a few other differing viewpoints. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's talk, let's talk about your book. You, you just you just issued a new book or, or wrote a new book and it's just out now, right? Back, back in October it released. Oh, awesome. Uh, well, congratulations. The Lost Art of Relationship, A Journey to Find the Lost Commandment. 
that's a lot of loss there. Um, wh- what have we lost and, and how do we get it back? To me personally, I think that as soon as Jesus uttered the words, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then number two, love your neighbor as yourself, they're the two things the enemy has been battling against us as leaders and those in churches and those in their very personal lives ever since Jesus uttered the words. Now, he's probably was doing it way long, way before that. But when he said, these are the two things that are most important to God himself, I feel like that was when the battle started raging. And the church over the years and believers over the years, and even our own society, and you guys can just take a look at any news station and see this, has become so incredibly divided and contentious. It's not even the fact that it's divided, it's contentious. And even between churches, as I mentioned, even if a pastor says to me, I can't work alongside that guy, that's division. Mm-hmm. That's dissension. And so I feel that we have lost this art of relationship where we can connect with other people at a very foundational, guttural level of saying we were all created by God for a purpose. And that purpose was for relationship with him and relationship with each other. And um, so that's that's really the basis and the reason why I felt this book was so important because I felt, I felt like even in my own life, I've struggled with trying to find out how do I how do I overcome this obstacle with this relationship, even with those in my own family. And so some of the chapters in the book, like forgiveness came out of that, or humility came out of that. Love in and of itself has come out of that. So I feel like we've lost that. And especially with the digital age that we find ourselves in, there are, I mean, there are actual uh, the DSM, you know, the the module that they use for psychological disorders, and mm-hmm. they've actually now started to talk about this, where there are disorders that people can get using social media, using digital media, and thinking that those are valid relationships and being destroyed emotionally when people don't respond a certain way. So I just feel it's so important for us to reconnect with what relationship actually means. So that's why I think it's lost. And that lost commandment, meaning that as a church, we've done a pretty decent job helping others understand the need and importance of a relationship with Christ. But I'm not so sure we've done such a great job being an example of what it means to be in a relationship with each other. So living in the most socially isolated society on the planet, statistically speaking, how, how do you actually guide people through this uh, gauntlet of relationship because it, we literally live in the society that fears relationship more than almost any other culture. Well, one of the best ways you can do that is to help people understand why relationship really is important and valuable in their lives. Why do we connect with other people? Why should we connect with other people? And when it comes to social media or digital media, I, I really do kind of um, gloss over, glaze over this in the book, but I, because I didn't want to make it a negative book about why we're not doing so well. I wanted it to be a book about how can we improve, even if we feel like we're doing really well, but we all have issues in relationship. I think for me, it comes down to connection and why we need to connect with other people. When I first moved up to Sacramento, my wife and I didn't know anybody. I mean, we moved to this area not knowing one single person and from that, I had to learn a valuable lesson of why is it important to connect? And I think there's four reasons. And this is kind of how I navigate through it. Number one, it benefits me. I mean, how could I not think that any relationship that may be a great connection, whether it's business, marketplace, or personal, or church, or friendship, or family, why would I not think it would benefit me? 
something mm-hmm. some people would say that's kind of selfish, but I, I think it's a it's a baseline. Well, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So I kind of need to understand why it's valuable and beneficial to me. Number two, it's beneficial to you and it should be beneficial to you. It shouldn't be one-sided. That's the foundation of connection. But number three, our mutual connection and relationship should benefit others. If we're not thinking about how we can benefit those around us, then we haven't even remotely touched what I think number four would be. And that is our relationship pleases God. And so for those four reasons that kind of help people navigate around all of that mess of social media, social isolation and say, you guys, it's, it's, it can be pretty simple. It's about connection and how do we connect? So um, there's three levels of the book or stages of the book or sections, if you will. The first one is, these are the foundations of relationship. So I go through, these are the eight levels that your relationship can go through. Uh, and the eighth meaning the most meaningful. Uh, then I go into obstacles of relationship. And then the third section, I just felt like it was really important to talk about the building blocks of relationship. What needs to be in our connections with others that helps us move forward. Okay, let's, uh, let's, let's unpack this a little bit because I, uh, you know, I'm hearing you uh, talk about the formulation around the first and second commandments, right? So, or not the commandments, but the, the greatest commandment uh, to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor is yourself, right? So that I get, and I and I think most Christians would say, "Yep, yeah, we we get that," and yet we don't behave that way. And I think that's what you're saying is that we, we might articulate a, an agreement with what Jesus said, but when you peel back the layers. We tend to avoid people that we don't get along with. We tend to, like your example with the pastor, we don't want to embrace people that might think differently than us. And mm-hmm. so is what you're saying is, is that we need, we need to go outside of our comfort zone and develop these connections with people that we don't necessarily think that we'll get along with? Oh, absolutely. So to Armin's question then, how do you, how do you break through to that? How do you coach people who would prefer to just keep the sphere of friends they have? When I moved to Minnesota, I found that most of the people here have lifelong relationships with their friends. It's hard to break into a social fabric. And that's even just, they might even like you and it's still hard to get into. So (laughs) how do you counsel people to be thinking outside of their normal social sphere that they may not even feel like they're keeping up with enough to then engage people who they don't even agree with, they may not even like, that are way outside their comfort zone at a time when they might even just feel overwhelmed and all the rest. Do you see what I'm saying? It seems like the obstacle for engaging in this kind of radical relationship is is really high. And I'm just wondering, what are some of the strategies you found to break through that? Yeah. So diving a little bit deeper, one of the things I think we need to overcome is our insecurities and those inhibitions that keep us from even branching out and meeting someone new for, for that matter. Uh, like you mentioned, sometimes we get so stuck into these are us four no more kind of mm-hmm. mentality. And I don't want to add anybody else because it takes work, it takes time, it takes investment. And those are all true. But the first thing that we need to overcome is our own fear and our own insecurity of will someone even accept me for who I am? Or will they reject me based off of my socioeconomic status, my ethnicity, or the fact that I don't know enough about a certain subject? So I think the insecurities, inhibitions, the, the two things that we don't like to admit that we have that take vulnerability and take practicing that vulnerability with others around us to be able to become more comfortable to say, hey, this is who I am. I'm not asking you to tolerate everything that I am, but I am asking you to accept that this is who I am. And the same token, we need to do the same for others and saying, well, I just don't understand that person's point of view. 
And so then comes this, there's a, it goes even deeper than that. So if, if it's like an archaeological dig, guys, where you, you literally have to brush away and be very, very careful with how you're brushing away the dirt and the sand or the mud to get to what it is that we need to see here. And I think when we go deeper, we understand that forgiveness or offense, so say somebody gets offended at something I say because I'm not realizing how I'm saying it or, or what I'm saying, we're divided mainly because I don't agree with that person. Mm-hmm. Just take a look at Democrat versus Republican. And I think that conversation, in my opinion, should not be something that we shout from every single pulpit as far as you need to be this, you need to be that. But we can't even agree to forgive. We can't even say, well, yeah, you hurt my feelings. So I'm just going to hold that grudge against you for the rest of your life. And I'm just going to stay around people that I don't have to work so hard to get to know and to stay in connection and relationship with. So I help people navigate through that by saying we need to understand, number one, first and foremost, this art of forgiveness. There is so much that we don't understand about other people. Part and parcel to that is, is that we have to understand this art of questioning. Just like you guys are asking me a question and I'm trying my best to answer it in the way that you may feel it needs to be answered just because that's the way you wanted it to be answered. We can't get to know someone or branch out unless we are willing to ask questions. And that first question is, hi, what's your name? <laughs> it's, that, it's, it's that easy, but we can't even get to that point of asking what's your name unless we've been able to reconcile inside of us, this is why I'm different, this is why we're different, this is why we may not agree, and then branch out and say, how can we find some middle ground? And I'm not sure if that really touches on what you're going for, but I think that those things are in combination with each other. We have to learn how to forgive, we have to learn how to ask questions, and we have to really work on overcoming those insecurities that are inner screams that we wish no one else would hear. You know, I, I completely agree with you. I just, it, one of the things that's just really challenging about what you're saying is that that rejection is actually real, right? Mm. So there, there's this idea of that it's insecurity, but we do live in a society that where rejection is running rampant, right? Yeah. Um, so let's just make a simple example here. So if I wear, to your political point, if I wear a uh, Make America Great Again hat and walk down a certain neighborhood, <laughs> right? Uh, the, there's no chance of a conversation. There's a good chance I'm going to get the crap beat out of me. The hat might remain, but you will yeah, be gone. Yeah, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so I completely agree with you in terms of getting past that insecurity, but how do you deal with the reality of that rejection and you're going to deal with that rejection all the time? Yeah, there's, there's no way to avoid the rejection. I had to learn that the hard way, but then somebody told me about another guy who was having so much difficulty in business because he couldn't sell because he, he hated to hear the word no. So for... I think it was several weeks. I can't, I'm not really sure of the time frame, but for several weeks or even months, he challenged himself every day to always ask questions of others where he would be forced to hear a no. <laughs> wow. So that he could get used to the, the idea that the majority of the people that you're around are going to reject something that you said, something that you did, or even something that you wore. Now, for me personally, when I coach people with this, I like to say, don't let all your crazy out all at once because <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want to give someone the, a reason to reject you necessarily that's open. So I, for me personally, I would say I would probably never ever wear a hat like that, even if I did agree with that statement. Um, I, I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't put it out there and say, this is my category. 
Because as soon as I say, this is my category, I give someone else at least 50% of the population a reason to reject me. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it, I mean, that's kind of a funny example, but I guess what I'm getting down to is, is that I, it's about learning how to prove our own trustworthiness before we expect others to trust us. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. In order to do that, I don't let all my crazy out all at once. I mean, I think that I think that people get to, need to get to know me for the for just the basic. This is who I am. I'm Dan Crystal. I'm married. I have kids. I have grandkids. I've got some dogs, and I live in a house. And I also have some family members that are not doing so well on the streets. And hey, I've got my own issues. So let's let's just find some middle ground. Uh, what does that middle ground look like? And if I if I put out there and I project something that I know beyond any doubt is going to have rejection almost immediately, then I'm probably setting myself up there, aren't I? Yeah, you're starting out so, on a weaker footing anyway, for sure. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, you know, I think it's easy for people to take a, well, you're a Democrat, so this is what you believe. You're Republican, so this is what you believe. So we, we, we tend to stereotype, and we do that with everything. That's just part of our lazy brains trying to find ways to categorize people and put people in boxes and be presumptive about it. And I think, you know, what you're saying is don't, don't do something to provoke uh, an easy stereotype that, that then loses your ability to influence people and build the trust that you're uh, trying to uh, gain with them. Is that right? Absolutely. And I know that shots in the face of every single political rally and campaign that is out there. And, and I know we're pointing that out because it's the easy one, but let's talk about race. It could be any topic, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the even deeper, the, the one that's not so funny is ethnicity and race. And uh, I'm, I'm just going to put it out there. I am a white male in my mid 40s. And so for that reason... Wait, how much American, Native, and Indian are you? Uh, zero percent. <laughs> we've, we've done the background. It's not fair. Don't worry. <laughs> I can't say what tribe I'm from or anything like that. So okay. I'm not even going to try. All right, uh, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> but race in this country, it's just, it's, it's not fixed. It's actually still very, very segregated, very divided. And we are afraid to enter into that conversation. Or... There are still others that are out there right now that even maybe even listening to this podcast that they're not even going to agree with me that race is an issue because they live in their bubble uh, or they live in their area where they don't ever have to deal with the difficulties of race. So I think that that one's even more serious one, don't you think? Where we kind of stay with those who look like us because it's an easier conversation. And that could be white, that could be black, that could be Asian, that could be uh, Spanish. I mean, it doesn't matter what race you are. We tend to gravitate towards those who understand more about what we're going through than anybody else. I think that's the whole idea of community. You, you, you know, it, what the root of community is having a common interest or some commonality, right? So there's, there is that aspect of it, regardless of whether it's race or, you know, a sports team or, you know, you know, athletic endeavor, whatever, you tend to hang around people or get attracted to people who share common interests, don't you? Of course we do. And, and it's easy. Those are the easy kinds of relationships. But what about when those relationships that are comfortable for us become difficult? What if somebody says something, and, and this happens all the time, right? I, can't, I thought you were my friend is the comment that usually comes out yeah. because they've offended or hurt us for some reason. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, if we can't even navigate through those closer relationships, how we can expect to navigate through the ones with people that are different than us. And I remember sitting down with uh, across the table, uh, I actually put this in the book, and I sat across the table from an African-American pastor who's a good friend of mine, and we've been developing a friendship over the last several years. And he asked me this question. He said, why do you do this? 
And I, I didn't understand what he was asking. I said, what, have lunch? Because <laughs> I'm hungry. Um, no, he said, why do you do this? And he pointed to himself and, and myself. And, and then I knew what he was talking about because of the differences in our skin color. And I said, because the relationship that we can enjoy is more important than the differences that we have. I am going to become more enriched with every person that I get around that's different than me because there's a whole culture that I don't know about. And if I can learn more about that culture, if I can learn more about those people that are different than me, then I can learn how I can fit into this society in a way as more inviting as Jesus would want to show love and not judgment. And so, and I'll tell you what, that opens up a whole can of worms, doesn't it, guys? <laughs> Slightly. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Bold Idea Podcast. Well, I mean, let's take a moment and give thanks where thanks are due. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody that's out there supporting this podcast so that it can exist Thank you, because it would not exist without you. Oh, that is so true, because this is a nonprofit endeavor. We don't make any income from it. Very nonprofit. <laughs> In fact, we, we uh, provide support to it. So we're so appreciative of your joining with us through your tax-deductible contribution to make this show possible. And if you do want to support and keep this bad boy going, then just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate. You know, as you're talking, I'm, I'm just wondering about, you know, I think the natural reaction that we all have in topics like this is, is to generally say, yeah, I'm, I think I'm generally okay. I mean, I, you know, I may have some, some issues every now and then and you know, maybe I get uncomfortable around some people and yeah, maybe I could go out and meet some more friends or, you know, take on some relationships that I wouldn't otherwise naturally just pursue. Or, you know, maybe I can think about not being quite so easily offended or creating offense. Uh, but generally on the whole, I'm kind of an all right. In fact, I'm probably above average. You know, it's like the, they say, you know, there's nobody that's that everybody would describe themselves as an above average driver, which by definition can't be true. So I'm kind of thinking that maybe the same thing applies in relationships. Everybody would kind of think that they're above average in relationships. And it made me wonder as we're talking, is there something like an equivalent of IQ or you know EQ? Is there like a relationship quotient? Is there some way for us to tell whether we truly are healthy in our relationships? Well, I always like to tell people, if you want to find out how I really am, then talk to my wife. Yeah, yeah, right. And my wife wouldn't appreciate that as an introvert because she just not would wouldn't, would not want all those people coming at her. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. The example still remains. You you need to ask those who are closest to you how you present yourself. I mean, we back when I was in Maryland, we were in I was at the, at the church I mentioned before. We did this three hundred and sixty degree evaluation, and all of us thought, oh, we do we don't really have that many blind spots. We're all pastors. Mm -hmm. you know, what kind yeah, of blind spots can we really you have? You have to be at the top <laughs> of the, the, the relationship pinnacle as a pastor, right? I mean, you've got, you got this whole relationship thing wired, right? Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, totally. we have this relationship with God down, and yeah. we have a relationship with, our, with the people down. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> right? I know, I'm being very facetious. So I can't tell the sarcasm. Oh, I was teeing um, you up for that. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, 
what I what I discovered, and I'll just talk about my own. I won't talk about there were eight of us and we all did this where we had well, it's much more fun to talk about the others. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all know, right, we'll talk about you, Dan. Go ahead. <laughs> I know, I don't want to get into legal trouble. I'm just kidding. Um so yeah, as an attorney. What I, but <laughs> we had uh, our family take the same exact survey as are those who were our direct reports also took this survey. We had all of our colleagues, that means all the seven, there were seven of the rest of us take the same survey and answer the same questions. And once we were all done with that, we had a third party go through all the results and sit down with us individually and tell it. And this is actually something that is done with some consulting agencies. So if any CEO or any pastor of a church wants to get to know their staff a little bit better and how they're presented, then this would be a great idea. And so I sat down with this consultant right across the table and he said, you know, Dan, not one thing really stood out as far as this is the worst negative trait you have. But before I celebrated, <laughs> he said, but there is this one thing. They all kind of said the same thing. If Dan would just do this, he could improve that much more. Mm. And I thought, ah, oh, I know exactly what that is. And so he even asked me the question. He goes, do you know what that's all about? I said, yeah, I know exactly what that is. I keep myself from moving forward because of my insecurity. And I know that I've dealt with that ever since I was younger. And it was based around one situation that happened that kind of drove me personally for, well, until now. And I'm still, I still deal with it. Those insecurities of I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I'm not, I'm not the best, I'm not the best at this or I need to improve here. And so I would always hold back, even in relationship. And these people loved me as a person, but they said, he'd be so much better if. And so I thought I was pretty good. I thought I had overcome all that. Mm-hmm. And I, the point I'm trying to make is that if, if any one of us thinks that we've got this down, this whole relational thing down, and some of us are better than others, no doubt about it. Think about the CEO that has spent all of his or her life building this corporation, this behemoth, and hundreds and hundreds, if not millions of employees, maybe in some cases, and they're on their deathbed, and not one person other than their spouse actually calls or writes or emails or texts to ask how they're doing. I think sometimes we don't realize the blind spots that we have. So in order to get over that, I think it's extremely important to remain self-aware enough to ask those around us, not only just to ask for be- for feedback, but to welcome feedback, and then to truly pray and, and sense what is it that God's trying to tell me here about how I need to improve. So I think if we can stay in that questioning face, even of our own ability to live in connection with others. I think that would be very valuable in how we live out in our relationships with others. Oh, well, that's good. I'm, I'm curious, given the area of sensitivity that you have, that your team identified in terms of your insecurities, and it just made me think of this one question. I want to tie it back to your book. So it's, it's out. It's since October, uh, The Lost Art of Relationship, A Journey to Find the Lost Commandment. What feedback did you receive about that that spoke most deeply to this insecurity that perhaps that you felt, maybe even in writing the book as to whether it be good enough or what have you? I don't know how that manifested itself, but I'm guessing it did. What, what feedback have you gotten from your readers about uh, your work that's been most encouraging to you? Oh, wow. Several people have, uh, I can't even, probably can't even count on two hands how many people have come up to me and talked to me about the chapter on forgiveness. And, uh, and then the, the chapter before that, The Art of Service and Reconciliation, because they go hand in hand. Because I talk about the story of my mom and I when I was about 12, 13, 14 years old. And when I was 12 years old, I was about five foot six. She was, she was off four foot 11 
and nothing. You know, she was a really short woman, and she used she used to be able to smack me in my disrespectful mouth. You know, I probably deserved it, more than likely did deserve it. And one time she raised her hand to do that, and I reached up and grabbed her hand and stopped her. That became an event that sparked in us this verbal battle as I was going into my teenagers. And one instance in particular, I have no idea what the argument was about. I still don't remember to this day what it was about. She said the words, Dan, if you don't stop what you're doing, you're never going to amount to anything. And that as a 13, 14 year old sticks with you. And I carried that for 14 years, 13, 14 years. And and this is why the feedback I received is, is so important to me because you don't know when you're going through things and what you're going through and why things happen and sometimes until much later. And when I was writing this chapter and when, it, when the book came out and people were giving me feedback and they would say, that story about your mom was the one thing that really impacted me the most. Because I now, I now realize I've got relationships that I need to reconcile with. And what happened was my wife and I lived in Los Angeles uh, back in 2001. We moved there July 27th, 2001. Two months later, my mom and dad came out from Baltimore to visit my family and I. And my dad had gone back already on September 9th. And on September 11th, 2001, my sister contacted me at 5.30 in the morning, Pacific Standard Time, and said, Dan, turn on the TV. And that was when we all, I'm sure, now that I've said that, I've lost some listeners already because they're already already thinking about where they were when that happened. Mm -hmm. And I just... I was blown away because my mom was scheduled to get on an airplane at 11 o'clock that morning to fly back to Baltimore. And I thought, oh my gosh, I need to reconcile with my mom. I've been holding this grudge against her for 13 or 14 years. It has literally impacted, influenced in a negative way a lot of my relationships, a lot of my decisions, even my own current insecurities. I need to reconcile this. I talked to my wife about it that night, sat down with my mom, told her what happened. She instantly starts uh, weeping because she didn't realize that what she, what she had said had hurt me to that level. And that's the thing that I think most people don't realize is that, and that what they've come to me and said, and they said, I'm really starting to watch what I say now. And I'm going back to these relationships and I'm, I'm wanting to reconcile if I can with them because I don't want this holding over my head. I don't want it locking me in a prison of unforgiveness and affecting all my relationships. And I, I would like to overcome this in that relationship with the person that I may have offended or they have offended me. And uh, I can't tell you how many weepy eyes have come and talked to me about that and said, by far, that was the most impactful part for me. Yeah, that's rich. That's rich. Well, how can our listeners find your book and enjoy those chapters themselves? Well, we have uh, created a couple websites that make it super easy to remember. We have one called lostartbook.com. And that takes them right to the Amazon page where they can find the ebook version, the paperback version, and also an audible version of the book. And, uh, and the audible is actually recorded by me, so that they'll hear this voice, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> uh, they can also go and click through and read the book for free at lostartonline.com. They'll have to input their first name, email, and last name there to get to see that, but they can also read it through for free online. And if they get tired of clicking through each page, they can always go to lostartbook.com and pick up a copy. That's great. And you have a special deal for our listeners to do that. I do. If they go to lostartonline.com and put in their first name, last name, email address, the 50th person that actually uh, signs up on that site from this podcast will receive a free copy of the book from me. And I'll, I'll, I'll sign it if that's even any value at all. 
But the better value is I would send them a $50 gift card to Amazon. Better value. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to send you a life-changing book and yet the better value is a $50 Amazon <laughs> gift card. Okay, I, I see how that works. <laughs> But you know what, listeners? If you don't take him up on this offer, I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna cancel your listenership. That's just yes, what we're yes. gonna do. We're gonna we just say we're yeah. just gonna say no. You're not allowed to listen to the Bold Idea podcast yeah. tuck anymore. <laughs> touche, Larry. Touche. All right. Well, Dan, we want to thank you so much for being a part of the show. So enjoyed uh, getting to know you some more and learning about your book. And, and I know it's it's packed with a lot of material. I've scanned through it. I, I, to be honest, I didn't have a chance to read it, but you've got a lot of principles in there. And I know it's going to be helpful to people who are really wanting to assess their skill in relationship and recovering the lost art of relationship as you talked about. So thanks again for being on the show. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Well, Armin, Dan, Crystal. Man, I'm so glad he wrote this book. You, Me and you have been talking about the relational and social challenges of our generation and society for a long time. You know, he, he set out for a guy who, who says he's got all these insecurities, right? Yeah. He set out with probably one of the more ambitious undertakings that you can get to the lost art of relationship. I mean, like try to pick a field yeah. to write about, especially in our culture, in, in yeah. our culture and, and with all the conflict going on right now and yeah. all the issues that are going. And when you look at what he covers in this book, I mean, he he really has done, I think, a masterful job covering some really important topics. Yeah, and uh, and I and I just think he had so so many good things to say. I love what they say at their church. I hadn't heard this before, but impact Trump's process. Oh yeah yeah yeah. I I didn't realize that's what their church said. I thought that never mind. Keep going. Yeah, I love that. Or maybe that's the Thrive Conference. Yeah. In any case, I, I'm just like, well, that's really really good because you know you measure the impact of something and thinking it through uh, that lens. Mm. Uh, you know, and and when you think about you know, that that certainly defines, does it not, Jesus's walk to the cross? Mm. I mean, you know, it, it was a painful process to go through, but it, yeah. but the impact trumped the process, right? Yeah. And he did it because of what it did for us. Wow. You know? Yeah, come and on. And I was like, that's what That'll that's what preach. we need to remember in our own lives. We can get so process-focused that we think about how we create nice, comfortable little lives and we don't think about, is that keeping us from making an impact? Yeah. You know, that's what I was thinking about. How does that keep us? And then when we talk about relationships, I mean, we didn't even, we, we talked most or, mostly with Dan about how we bridge the gap with people that we don't necessarily reach out to, you know, in, the, in the, those kind of conflict zones, those different groups. We didn't even dive into like he did at the end with the reconciliation that we need just among our family members and among yeah. our friends and the people yeah. that are closest to us, the ones that we care the most about. And relationship the most overwhelming challenges. Ones. Yeah, those yeah. relationship challenges are there as well. And yeah. they do keep us from making the kind of impact because we're dealing with the stuff, the drudge that we are carrying. And and maybe we're not even dealing with it. Maybe the point is, is we're avoiding it. Yeah, you know? it's so much easier. Yeah, so I think Dan's book's going to be a helpful roadmap for anybody to kind of navigate that and to, and to sense, maybe just even to do a diagnostic for yourself is to say, yeah. hey, how, and that was what I was trying to get to with that relationship quotient mm -hmm. thing. I think, frankly, you could go through each of the chapters that he has in his book and just go, okay, there's something I can learn and apply there right. in my life to do that. But you know, the thing that I could most identify with what Dan was talking about was a story with his mom. Mm. You yeah. know, because I had almost a similar incident with my mom and I can remember well, you had where I was. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I know. But there was one that really stood out because, yeah. uh, you know, I angered my mom in some way and she turns to me and she said, you know, I wish you'd never been born. 
You know, and, and I, that's like... It hurts take, me every time I hear it. I know. I just, I just like, like, throw up. I know. It's like, you know, <laughs> she was at least giving him a warning that if you don't stop doing what you're going to do, you're not going to amount yeah. to anything one day. That's at least a warning. Yeah. Mine was like, game over for you. Just I wish Shot you were, to the head. <laughs> I wish you weren't even on the planet. Uh, and And I can identify with what Dan was saying, how that has an effect on how you think about yourself. You yeah. think about your value, your worth. Am I good enough? What does it take to be okay? Mm-hmm. And I think that we, t- we tend to think about relationships I- I- from our, a lens of you know, our own skill or how comfort or how well does everything work for me. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is the words that we say, the way in which we engage with others has an effect on them. Mm. And it could have an effect for generations to come. Yeah. You know? And so this is such a vital topic. All right. I don't want to answer to this. I want to wrap this up, but I'm I'm just going to throw this out there. The wall I hit around this conversation, and I have this conversation a lot. It always comes up that you need to love your neighbor as yourself from the Christian perspective, right? Mm-hmm. But based on the things like the example you just shared or Dan shared, and I have my own examples of mm-hmm. what's been said to us, what I realize the biggest challenge is in terms of loving the neighbor is we don't know how to love ourselves. <laughs> we actually have more self-hate than we have self-love mm-hmm. more often than not. And we project that to our neighbor. So the conversation always goes to how do you love your neighbor? But we don't really have a lot of good answers on how do you love yourself. <laughs> okay, amen to that. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, and if we really did think about that question, the only way we can love ourselves is to know that God loves us. Right. And that and that's, and that's the redemption. Right. But it's and, and I've heard that, but there, there there's a whole prequel of a book. Do you know what I'm saying before this book? And then there's the sequel and it's a trilogy. You're going to write that? Yeah, because I'm okay. such a good writer. <laughs> we're, we're gonna, okay. So Dan, I know you're you're listening to the postlude of this show. I guess we got your prequel and your postquel hey. ideas already teed up for you. So go get them. We'll, Glad we'll, I we'll grab them when you do. We'll have you back on the show again. Folks, we want to thank you for listening to this episode and we sure hope you found something that you can take away and apply in your own life and think through the lens of relationship and how you can use that to stimulate your own bold idea. In fact, heck, it might be a bold idea for you just to lean into the relationship challenges that you have today. So let us know what you think at our show notes at boldideapodcast.com slash 83 or leave us a uh, comment on our show line at 612-568-IDEA, 612-568-4332. Now, when you go to those show notes, we'll also have the links to the lostartonline.com and the, you know, you need to take advantage of, of getting that book from Dan. And, and the $50 and gift the $50 card. gift card. <laughs> exactly right. Because that's going to be life-changing for you. And uh, we want you to uh, just take advantage of that. And, and if you are enjoying the Bold Idea Podcast, would you consider a final year-end contribution to our show? Just go to boldideapodcast.com slash donate. We appreciate anything that you can do there. And we're so appreciative of you. So this is Larry Gates and Armin Asad. We're saying Merry Christmas, have a wonderful holiday season, and we will see you in a couple weeks. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.